Let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 7 and verse 14. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 7 and verse 14. The Bible says, And he came and touched the bier, and they that bear him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. With the help of the Lord, uh, the title of the sermon today is simply, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. Praise God. In the story of the raising from the dead of the young man of Nain, we read that this was her only son. This was her only son. Now, this is important. No one understands this love, this pain of losing one's only son more than God himself, who gave his only begotten son. The Bible says in the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise God. God has no other son like the son who is of his own spirit, of his own word, of his own essence. Praise God. Do you know that no human being actually can have that kind of relationship? Let's say you have a son and that is your only son. No matter how close, how deep your love is for your son, your only son, it can never come close. It is infinitely different from the love that God the Father, God as Spirit, has for his own flesh, for his own body. So we should never underestimate this profound love that God has for his own flesh and blood, his body, his son. And by extension, we should understand from this his empathy, his ability to empathize to understand the pain of a widow who lost her only son. Praise Jesus. I say this because no matter what crisis we may go through, God knows through experience more than we can ever imagine what we're going through. Amen. Never say, nobody understands. I'm alone in this crisis. Why have I been singled out for this problem? No, that is selfishness. That is a form of narcissism. Look to Jesus, the God who knows our afflictions. The Bible says in the desert with the children of Israel, in all of their afflictions, he was afflicted. In all of their afflictions, he was afflicted. 
every problem the children of Israel had, God suffered with them. Whenever I go through a problem, I understand that Jesus is going through the problem with me. I have a companion in my misery. He will shed tears with me. But at the same time, he will lift me up out of the miry clay. Hallelujah. This is the Christian's comfort. This is why the Holy Ghost is called the comforter. Praise God. We should stop wallowing in self-pity. Understand, believe the word of God. When he says in all of their afflictions, he was afflicted. I believe, even if for no reason I feel a little bit despondent under the weather, Jesus comes to share my despondency with me. Jesus comes. He doesn't need to say anything. He sits with me. Just by sitting near me, coming near me, I understand I'm not alone. Praise God. You know, I've seen documentaries of people with dogs and uh, I've never had a pet dog. But when I was a kid, I, I, I used to love dogs and back in my school. But every dog owner will tell you that the dog seems to pick up on whatever, whatever your, you know, emotional, you know, uh, feelings that you're going through, that they seem to read the, the roller coaster of emotions that human beings experience. You don't need language with a dog for the dog to comfort you. You know, that's why a dog is called, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit uh, chauvinistic, but they say man's best friend. What about a woman's best friend? But my point is, if a dog can read your emotions so well and comfort you, how much more God, the God who made the dog, Thank God that he is my comforter. You would say, God, the almighty God, he wants to come and share my problems with me, share my misery. Who am I? He loves you. <laughs> He's unique. You know, the, the famous and rich people of this world, they look down upon other people. They blow their dignity. It's contemptful for them to hear about the problems of other mortals, you see. They want to be with the rich and famous, the movers and shakers, but not the God who made heaven and earth. He's a God who was so attuned to the feelings of his people. He's closer to us than our own breath, our own heartbeats. There's no friend, <coughs> friend like Jesus. The person who, <coughs> sorry, the person who sang the song, what a friend we have in Jesus, knew what he or she was talking about. Hallelujah. All our sins and griefs to bear. Hallelujah. What a friend we have in Jesus. You know, I used to hear this hymn back in my school, a British boarding school. And I was a Muslim at that time. And I would hear them sing this song. And I, I used to be quite, uh, you know, shocked. On the one hand, because Muslims don't believe that humans can be the friends of God. 
So I was kind of amazed at how these Christians talk to God. And say, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend. And and but at the same time, I thought it's such a such an at attractive notion that actually God could be our friend. So we need to understand this. I'm speaking to somebody who today needs to hear this because this message is, is about this. And, and as it unfolds, you will understand how much Jesus loves the most marginalized person in this world. The person who nobody would come to their funeral. God have mercy. The person who says, I am totally friendless. If I die tomorrow, nobody would notice. Let me tell you, Jesus is your friend. Jesus would notice. Jesus cares for you. The devil wants you to think that nobody cares for you. Each time somebody commits suicide is a tragedy before the throne of the Lord. Angels hang their head in sorrow. Jesus' great heart is broken because the devil managed to lie to somebody and tell them, nobody cares for you. You might as well go ahead and, you know, just kick the bucket, so to speak. But this message today, because we are talking about a widow, brothers and sisters, is there anyone more destitute than a widow in those days in ancient times? Her husband died. She has no child. And that was a big tragedy, believe you me. There was no social welfare system. She basically has no one. She is at the pity of basically, you know, anyone who feels to do good. And we know that human beings, if you leave it up to them, their own whims, uh, they often do not do good. We seem to lean towards selfishness and greed. So we need to understand that this message is for all those who have children who do not serve the Lord Jesus also. Let me make that clear at the outset. To begin with, God expects us to love, to pray, and to weep for our children like this widow of nine. As if we have only one child. I invite you today to join the funeral procession to put yourself in the shoes of this widow woman. You are going to bury your, your son, your only son. You know, in those days, the son, the child was a, a kind of guarantee against extreme poverty. Because when people would become old, there's no mm, social net to, to take care of their needs. And woe to the person who did not, does not have a child. Today we have the option and the privilege of not having children on the basis that if, if, it, if, if the only reason for having a child is economic security when I'm old, uh, in those days, it was not just a matter of, you know, deriving some 
pleasure and benefit from child uh, rearing, but it is about economic concerns. But coming back to this woman and applying the story spiritually to our lives, how terrible, how fearful it is when our children do not love the Lord or serve him. Spare a thought for the parents for a moment who seem to be totally oblivious, indifferent, complacent. God is irrelevant to their world. Do you know how terrible that is? The reason why Israel demanded a king was because the sons of Samuel did not walk in the ways of God. Did you know that? We sometimes forget. The great prophet Samuel. He never made a mistake. No, he didn't. But he made one mistake. I mean, he rebuked his children. He taught them the ways of God. But you see, when they were not listening, he should not have appointed them to be judges in his place. It was because of that that the children of Israel demanded a king. Let's turn to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 8 and verse 5. 1 Samuel, chapter 8 and verse 5. The Bible said, And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. You see? There you have it. Children who despise the ways of God should really never be given positions in the church. It will lead to a great offense. It will lead to these children corrupting the whole nation even, as was in the days of Samuel. Samuel was full of sorrow. He fell on the ground. You see? But it's in a way his fault. Why did you appoint your children? They are nothing like you. Keep them out of the pulpit. Keep them out of the king of of. of Positions in Jesus' name. We need to learn from the word of God. So, there is, thankfully, the promise in the miracle of Nain that those who weep for their only child will attract the attention of Jesus. Let me repeat that. There is in the promise in the story of the miracle of Nain that those who weep for their only child will attract the attention of Jesus. Praise God. This is our hope. What other hope do we have? May Jesus come before I bury my son. May Jesus see me in the funeral procession. On the way to the cemetery. Before I put my son six feet deep into the ground. God have mercy. The Bible also records that the woman of Nain. Not only had lost her only son, like I said, she was also a widow. Let me remind you, God has always been the champion of the widows in the, in the Old Testament. If there's one thing you can glean about the God of the Old Testament, it's very clear. He is a champion of the rights of the widows. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 18, 
Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 18, the Bible says, He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. I want you to know God loves the fatherless. If you see a child who's fatherless, be careful. If you see a widow, be careful. If you see a stranger, be careful. We live in a world that loves to bash the immigrants. They, uh, there's nothing positive associated with the immigrant. But let me tell you, I came as an immigrant to this country. I was a young 18-year-old. I had nothing, but my heart was filled with Jesus. When I began to understand what people were saying about the immigrant, I would often take my, my frustration and tears to Jesus and say, Lord, why, why do they say all these bad things about me as an immigrant? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not here to sponge off welfare. I'm not a criminal. I'm not here to be a burden on this society. Why have they condemned me even before I've done anything? And God would take me to these scriptures in the Bible and show me. He said clearly here. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow and loves the stranger. Please say with me, God loves the stranger. There are many populist politicians who hate foreigners. But God loves the foreigner. So there is no talk of building walls against Mexico and talking about countries in Africa with the S word and whatever word. God loves the stranger, whatever else you may think about them. So it's not me. It's not politics. This is the Bible. But people, you in uh, Shakespeare once said, the devil cites scripture for his own purpose. We cannot make the Bible suit our political ideologies. We are Christians. God told the children of Israel. He said, you shall not oppress the stranger. Because you were strangers in Egypt and you should know the heart of a stranger. Unless a person has been a stranger, a refugee, an asylum seeker. You will never know how to empathize with these people. May God help us. So here is a widow coming back to our story. The widow is on her way to bury her son. She has no one to help her in life. She is destitute. What a hopeless, terrible situation. Her misery and suffering was amplified by the loss of her husband and now the loss of her only son. Let me tell you, misery indeed loves company. Did you know that crises often come in twos and trees and foes? They rarely come alone. They rarely come alone. You know that from experience. When the devil attacks, he wishes to overwhelm by a series of devastations as was the case with the misery he unleashed on Job, the man of God, Job. Have you read the story of Job? Three times in one chapter, in chapter one, 
the Bible says, the Bible says, while he was yet speaking, note Job chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, three times it says, while he was yet speaking. That means while one was giving a message about the Sabaeans have come. You remember we talked about the people of Sheba, Sabaeans, the people of the queen of Sheba. They attacked Job. They took his wealth. So while one was giving this message, another one came. While he was yet speaking and gave him more bad news. And while he was yet speaking, the third guy came and gave him more bad news. Do you see what I mean by the devil? Loves to overwhelm us. Don't be surprised. When you get three devastating news. And in one moment. No the devil is behind. Don't panic. God is still on his throne in heaven. I know my redeemer liveth. Hallelujah. When you get such a message. Say God gave and God took. Amen. This is not just a story we read about Job. It can happen to anybody here. I pray God will give you the strength to respond like Job. The Lord gave and the Lord took. Naked I came into this world and naked shall I leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. You know why the devil comes with this blitzkrieg, this blitz war? Why did the Nazis and Hitler decide to unleash what is called the blitzkrieg? He wants to overwhelm you. While you, are let's, while you are yet speaking, he will hammer you with tomahawk cruise missiles, uh, hellfire missiles. Notice the names of all these missiles. I mean, the goal is to paralyze you. Who remembers the second Gulf War and what Donald Rumsfeld, the former secretary uh, uh, of state of the USA, said? When they attacked Saddam Hussein, not that I'm aware of fa fans of Saddam Hussein, but what did he say about his strategy? He called it shock and awe. Shock and awe will hammer you, pound you to such a degree, you won't, I mean, you'll be paralyzed. You'll just surrender before you even know what hit you. So we need to understand we have an enemy, brothers and sisters. That enemy is not the USA, not Donald Rumsfeld has passed away, but uh, uh, the, my point is understand. There is a spiritual enemy, if ever, if ever God allows him to. And that's why, brothers and sisters, we pray the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. If you don't pray that prayer, who knows if God will allow the devil to unleash. While he was yet speaking, I don't want God to allow the devil to, to test me. No, please know Jesus. It's very trying. Job was on the level of Noah and Daniel. And yet, the man, his faith was shaken to the core. He was really disappointed at God. But, I mean, he said everything except leaving God. His wife said, curse God and die. She was the first victim of the devil's blitzkrieg upon him. We need to prepare ourselves. And pray often to the Lord. If I'm hit with what Job was hit, my God, I pray. If I'm reduced to the position of the widow, no husband, no son, I'm alone, way bef be before my time. 
May I still be able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. God's ways are higher than my ways as the heavens are higher than the earth. Amen. We receive good from the Lord. Shall we not receive evil? God have mercy. So as we continue, Job 2 verse 9 says, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain that integrity? Curse God and die. That's one of that, that's one of the worst scriptures in the in the Bible for me. That that's one that whenever I read, I just shake my head. God have mercy. The woman of Nain was a widow, but God is the God of Sarah, whose womb He opened. He is the God who can plant a fetus in a dead womb and raise a dead young man. Hallelujah. Let's read what God said in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14. Genesis 18 and verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee. According to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's say that every day. Let's believe that every day. Amen. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Can we all believe that God has an appointed time to bless us? God, say with me, God has an appointed time to bless me. God has an appointed time to bless me. Praise God. Luke chapter 17, no, Luke chapter 7 and verse 11. Luke chapter 7 and verse 11, the Bible says, And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Praise God. Nain is situated approximately 30 miles to the southwest of Capernaum. Nain has an elevation of about 700 feet above sea level. Consequently, reaching Nain involves a challenging ascent from Capernaum. Walking from Capernaum to Nain would have necessitated a journey lasting at least one or two days. Think about that. It's an arduous journey filled with hills and valleys. It takes about a day or two. Consider how the Lord Jesus timed his journey to Nain to coincide with the funeral procession. Can somebody shout amen? Hallelujah. Had Jesus come a bit late, it would have been very difficult, if not impossible, to convince the mourners to dig up the corpse of the young man. Ah, did you get what I'm saying? <laughs> Here is the widow woman. She leaves to go to the grave. But let me tell you, before they left to go to the grave, Jesus already left Capernaum. Many hours before. The Bible does not tell us that Jesus had any other business in Nain. He had only one business. Jesus left some hours before the woman. He knew how to time 
his encounter with the woman at the exact time. Praise God. Say with me, God is never too late. He is never too late. We've heard it many times before. But if you ever need scriptural evidence, I'm giving you one. It takes one to two days to go from Capernaum to Nain. Even there were many people with Jesus. Jesus didn't waste his time. He's God. He can see the funeral procession. He has to cut it off. He has to turn this funeral into a celebration. Jesus never goes to funerals. He goes to funerals to make it into a celebration of life. He's a God of life, not death. He's a God of resurrection. He has no pleasure in killing people. Hallelujah. Jesus left many hours before. So that he could meet this lady at the right time. Hallelujah. Are you going to the graveyard to bury your son? To bury your only daughter, your only son? Jesus can still meet you before that time. Amen. Expect Jesus to come. Expect Jesus to cut you off. Expect to be interrupted. Expect divine interruption. Ah, oh, hallelujah. May God interrupt this funeral procession. I don't care what kind of funeral procession you're in. What are you going to bury today? What were you going to bury tomorrow? Jesus Christ can interrupt that funeral procession. Jesus can disrupt that funeral procession. Can we say, Jesus, come. I invite you to disrupt this funeral procession. Ah, oh, hallelujah. I told you, I've never seen Jesus go to a funeral. God is not the God of funerals. Even his own funeral. He disrupted his own funeral. On the cross and in the tomb. They came to continue to moan for him. Nobody. God disrupts funerals. He disrupted his own funeral. God is not in the business of people rubbing ointments on his body and putting spices on his body. Let the dead bury the dead, he said. He's a God of life. He's a God who disrupts the devil's... The devil is... The, uh, the perpetrator of these things. He is, he, he's the one who loves death. He's a, he's a necromancer. He's, he's the one who, who initiates the cult of death. But Jesus is behind the cult of life. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Please invite Jesus to my funeral. Amen. If, you, if somebody asks me, whom should we invite to your funerals? I, I'll tell you right now, invite Jesus. No one else. Praise God. <laughs> he, he can raise me up. Praise God. So, we have to understand. How often have we heard God is never late? He's always on time. Say he's always on time. Praise God. Many of his disciples and much people went with him. The text records. Jesus will never tell us 
He will not always rather tell us the purpose of his journey. All we need to do is to be patient and know the Lord is traveling to do good. Whenever you travel with Jesus, something good will happen. Somebody say amen. We are going to travel soon to London. Good things happen when you travel with Jesus. I'm glad the people who went with Jesus, they must have asked him, Lord, why are you going to Nain? Jesus said, what is that to you? Just enjoy my company. You can learn so much on the journey with Jesus. Just hang on in there. Walk with him. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're walking with Jesus. That should be, you know, blessing enough. Hallelujah. Why talk? Why ask him about where he's going, what he's doing? Just travel with Jesus is good enough for us. Peter said it's good for me to, for us to be here on top of the mountain. Doesn't matter what happens. It's all good because Jesus is with us. So when you are traveling with Jesus, don't ask him why he's going to Nain. Just hop along. Tag along. Amen. Somebody says, uh, what are you doing, Brother Paul, in 2024? I'm just traveling with Jesus. I'm tagging along. Where is he going in 2024? I don't know. Doesn't matter. What matters is I'm traveling with Jesus. Hallelujah. So I'm traveling with Jesus. Always avoid the temptation when I travel. When they always ask, are you traveling alone? I would say, no, I'm with Jesus. Praise God. Are you blind? Can't you see Jesus is with me? Praise God. <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to end up in a prison cell for, for being a wise guy. Or, but the truth is Jesus is with us. We never travel alone. It's just they can't see him. So all those who patiently travel with the Lord will witness mighty and glorious acts which will solidify their faith. Had he told them his mission, some would have tried to convince him that there are many other widows in Capernaum who need their children to be raised from the dead. You see why Jesus doesn't tell us something? The Lord, why are you going tonight for one widow? Come on, Jesus. There are many widows here in Capernaum. Yeah, there were many widows in the days of Elijah. But Elijah was only sent to the widow of Sarepta. Praise God. You know, we all have our favorite widows. <laughs> Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying or misunderstand it correctly. <laughs> Everyone has their favorite widow, isn't it? You know, my aunt. You know, my cousin. You know, Lord, my... Why don't you let Jesus take us to the widow that he wants to go to? Amen. Just tag along with Jesus. Praise God. Somebody says, but, but there were many widows along the way. Jesus traveled one, two days. Jesus, what about all the widows you are passing by? Let Jesus choose the widow he wants to choose. Praise God. You know what I'm talking about by saying this? If we are not conscious of what we do, brothers and sisters, we may want to take Jesus, drag Jesus by our physical eyes, with our physical eyes, our preferences, our prejudices. Can you imagine what would have happened to the kingdom of Jesus if he allowed Peter to decide? Can you imagine what would have happened? We cannot allow people, and we have not allowed people, to tell us to whom the gospel can be given and not given. Never. We will be as stubborn as... Uh, you, you fill in the blanks there, but never. 
Let Jesus take us where he wants to go. You're going to Nain, Jesus? Did you know that Nain was the most nondescript place? It, it basically was nothing. A little town. 30 miles southwest near the valley of Jezreel. Megiddo. Nothing happens there. Armageddon will happen there, but in the past, hardly anything used to happen. Why is Jesus going to this unknown place? Because there is a widow. Remember what I told you? People may think I'm alone. Nobody cares about me. I'm a widow in a place called Nain, this God-forsaken place called Nain. No. There is no place that is God-forsaken. I, I dislike that term. We should stop using that term. What does it mean that a place is God-forsaken? <laughs> God is not forsake. Even Lot was not forsaken in Sodom and Gomorrah. God didn't forsake Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He didn't forsake Noah and the old world. God is not a God who forsakes. He always is in the business of trying to salvage something from the wreck, from the ugliness. He will salvage something. Praise God. And now he came to unknown Nain. Praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus doesn't always go. Don't let people cheat you and fool you to think that Jesus is only in some places, big places, where there's a lot of action. You know, some people act like Jesus basically is a, sorry to use this analogy, like he's a big rock star, you know, who only goes on a circuit, on a tour to certain big cities. Oh, no, no, we don't do a small place like nine. What, what do you mean nine? We go to big places. We go to London. We go to Paris. We go to uh, Los Angeles. We, we go to Miami. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't go only to the big cities. Don't talk to us about your big revivals here and there only. Jesus goes to the little Nains. Can somebody say amen? Expect Jesus to come to your Nain. Hallelujah. This is propaganda and people's uh, games that they play with us. Say my Nain. I'm going to my Nain tomorrow. Our church is a little Nain. But Jesus has already left Capernaum. Jesus has left Capernaum. He will meet us at the right time, in the right place, in my little Nain. Brother Lash, where he meets is Nain. Hallelujah. Where Brother Ephraim meets is Nain. Where the church in Oslo meets is Nain. Praise. Your house is a Nain. Make it a Nain. Hallelujah. Live in such a way that Jesus will come to your little Mamre. Imagine a place called Mamre. In the middle of nowhere, scorching heat. Abraham sitting in a tent. God is always attracted to his people. Doesn't matter where they are. You may be in some terrible place. Jesus will make it famous. Today we speak about plains of Mamre. What happened there? God came with two angels to meet Abraham. And Mamre? Never heard of this place. Have you heard of Abraham? Amen. Wherever Abraham is, wherever a man of God or woman of God is, that place becomes famous because Jesus will meet you there. Hallelujah. You don't go to a famous place to meet God. God will come to where 
you are and make it famous. Praise God. In the Bible, we have a place called Nain. Imagine. Jesus made it famous. The place is nothing. I remember the first time I went to Cana. Cana, Cana. You know, it was amazing. I remember a guy told me, Cana uh, is on the way to Nazareth. There's nothing here. I said, no, Jesus turned the water into wine here. That's why I'm here. Ah, yes, yes, that's true. That, that's the only thing people come from. I said, I've, I've come from the ends of the earth because of that. From Norway, my friend. Because since 1986, I've been reading about this. And I thank God for what he did. His miracle, his first miracle happened here. That's why this place where you're living is famous. Amen. Praise Jesus. You live in a famous place for those who fear God. These are the places in our vocabulary, in our spiritual map. Hallelujah. What is in your spiritual map? Praise Jesus. Jesus did not tell them about his mission because they would try to convince him to meet other widows. Remember Mary and Martha, bless their hearts, but they were disappointed because they felt the Lord should have left everything the moment he heard that Lazarus was sick. After all, we are close to him. Jesus does not operate on the basis that you are close to him or favoritism. He loves everybody equally. He loves everybody equally. We don't need somebody to introduce us to Jesus. Excuse me, you know, please, can I talk? Can you go to him yourself? Better still, he will come to you. The Lord is no respecter of persons. This is why the Lord showed no favoritism to his own family. He is God of all those who fear him and seek him. He was always correcting his family. He was always, it seemed like he was disrespecting them many times. He said to them, your time is always up. Even said, woman, what have I to do with you? Now you explain that to me. Somebody once said, if you met the Pope, what would you ask him? I would ask him exactly that. Pope, what do you think Jesus meant when he said, woman, what have I to do with you? I would love to hear his theology. Because the Catholic Church has elevated Mary above Jesus. How does Jesus tell somebody who is elevated above him, woman, what have I to do with you in John chapter 2? Listen, we have everything to do with Jesus. Not with popes and Marys and other. Everything is Jesus. Say Jesus only. We are Jesus only. Last time I checked, we never ap apologized for it. Amen. You can discuss with us. But we'll take it to the grave with us. Only Jesus. Amen. We must understand. We who have walked with the Lord for decades must pray for grace. To understand. That God. Is no respect of persons. He sees the widow woman. He's already on his way. He didn't reveal to anybody 
anything about it. Are you the widow woman, sister? Mothers who are crying for their children? Maybe with this message, Jesus is seeing your tears. Maybe this is the turning point, the watershed moment in Jesus' name. This, it's important to understand God has an appointed time. Timing. Somebody say timing. There is a time. Maybe this year is a time. Maybe this year is a time for God to raise up that child who is dead in Jesus' name. Can we speak by faith? Can we operate in the spirit? There comes a time you shift mode in the spirit. I can feel that shift. We prophetically speak, we, prophetic, we speak prophetically, anointedly. We say, this may be the year, this should be the year. The dead child on the way to the grave will rise up in Jesus' name. Say amen if you have faith. Remember I said if you respond like Jos Josiah, God will, you will save your life. You will save your child's life. Say amen in Jesus' name. Say my child will rise up, my daughter will rise up from the dead. My son will rise up from the dead in Jesus' name. You know, timing is important. Respect the timing of God. Respect the timing of God. Wait on the timing of God. How many people try to rush Jesus? What did he say? It's not given unto you to know the times and the seasons. In the fullness of time. Wait on the Lord. Amen. That's what the Bible says. There was one person in the Bible who lost so much because he could not wait on the time of God. You know his name, King Saul. Saul, the son of Kish. What a tragedy. How do you lose the whole kingdom? Just be impatient. You see, he could not wait on the Lord, so he lost his own kingdom. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. Verses 8, 9, and 10. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse, sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 8, 9, and 10. The Bible says, And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him <laughs> that he might salute him. That was one wasted salute or salutation. As soon as he made an end of offering, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You know, the souls of the Bible have always had a problem, it seems. This Saul lost his kingdom. He waited seven days. Say with me, seven days. But he should have waited till the sun went down. Once the sun goes down, you can say, I've waited seven days. God did not keep his promise. Do you know God not to keep his promise, Saul? Have you ever heard of a God who never keeps his promise? God is never late, Saul. 
please, let's tell, let's tell each other, tell yourself, God is never late. He will come before sunrise. Before the seven days over, he will come. Before the end of the year, you will get Isaac. God is not a man that he should lie. Did he anoint you king, David? Then certainly you will be on the throne of Jerusalem. Because this God's reputation rises and falls on his word, on his prophecies. Do I believe the Bible is the word of God? You bet. Because I have seen so many of the prophecies fulfilled. So many, even in my own lifetime. I know every word in this Bible will be fulfilled. I'm telling you right now, I'm surrounded by hundreds of books. Because I'm writing a book. Let me tell you, there's no book like the Bible. This is the book to end all books. Every book in the universe will perish. But the book of the Lord, the word of our Lord, Amen. It will live forever. You remember what the Bible said about the dream of Joseph? Hallelujah. The sheaf of Joseph basically grew bigger and all the others bowed down. Let me tell you, one day every book will bow down to the Bible. Hallelujah. I see like a vision of every book bowing down to the book of books, the Bible, the word of God. The Bible is his witness that he is a true God, a righteous God. Let them lie about the Bible all they want. Every book will bow. Just as every knee shall bow. Every ideology, every thought of humans will bow to the word of God. Nine, let's come back to nine. Nine means charming or beautiful. How about that? But let me tell you that day there was nothing beautiful or charming about nine for the widow woman. Sometimes our naines are turned into ashes, into pain. But let me tell you, thank God for that beautiful verse in Isaiah 61 verse 3, which says, To appoint unto them that moan in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Say with me, God will give me Nain for ashes. My child will resurrect in Nain. Because he's promised to make it beautiful. Jesus makes our Nain into beauty. But let me say one thing. Above all in this message. Jesus shows us. In traveling all the way from Capernaum to ensure that his journey coincides with this funeral procession. That Jesus does not want a young life to be wasted. Let us say that together. Jesus does not want a young life to be wasted. I hope some young people are listening to me today. I hope some young people are listening to me today. You know what is the greatest waste in this world? It is young lives that are not serving Jesus. There is no more tragic waste than that. You can't compare nuclear waste to that. 
There is no greater waste in this life. Hallelujah. God have mercy on young people. If there is one thing I'm so thankful for in my life, it is that Jesus found me when I was 15 years old. I'm 52. I cannot imagine what my life would have been. I would not be able to live with myself if I had gone back to the world with so much potential for Jesus. A young life has so much potential for Jesus. Jesus gave his life for, for us. How, how young was Jesus when he started to minister? He could hardly wait at the age of 12. The only reason he had to wait, he started when he was 30, is in the Old Testament law. He was not allowed to before that. time. Listen, young people, if you're listening to me, do yourself a favor. The best thing you can do for Jesus is to live for him. You don't need to do anything else. The best thing you can do is just live for Jesus. Wake up every day determined to live for Jesus. And the purpose of your life will have been fulfilled a hundredfold. Amen. The Lord himself was young when he started his ministry. The apostles were young. The apostle Paul reminded Timothy and Titus about this great privilege, advantage of being young. Do you know, we have an apostolic authority for young people. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, Paul says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Paul was Paul the aged at this time. But he was on fire for young people. He wanted to promote youth in the ministry. He gave them this charge, Let no man despise thy youth. Hallelujah. Titus chapter 2, verse 15. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Brothers and sisters, this is what we are trying to do. When people tell us that you, who ordained you, who gave you power to preach the gospel, we will not allow you to despise us in Jesus' name. Amen. We have received apostolic authority. Paul tells us, let no man despise you. Are you better than us in serving Jesus? Since when did God be, become a discriminator person? Never. Listen to me. Be bold in serving God. Be humble, but be bold. Be humble and bold. God has given this power to young people. Do not look, let anyone look down upon your youth, young man, young woman. Use it boldly for the glory of Jesus. The devil knows the power of young people. Did you know that? In the book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 13, the letter or epistle of 1 John 2, verse 13. Listen to what John says. John was young when he came to the Lord. But at this time, during at this time, he was close to 100 years old. He said, I write unto you, fathers, 
because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. What? What do you mean, John? You see, the devil does everything in his power to make sure that young people stay dead spiritually. Who is the devil attacking most? Think about which age bracket today is he attacking the most? Who is he attacking the most? Clearly young people. But John writes to the young people, listen, you have overcome the wicked. Remember Goliath? You know why Goliath was mad? You know why the devil was mad through Goliath? He was speaking through Goliath. He was blaspheming God through Goliath. You know why he was mad? Because he saw David, a young boy, a young man. And the devil was mad. Because the devil knows actually that if the young people did decide to serve Jesus, no one is more bolder than young people. No one is more braver than the young people. They take risks. They are not, they don't, somebody said, oh, they are not experienced. Let me tell you, sometimes experience makes us cowards in Jesus' name. Sometimes experience makes us just go from meeting to meeting to talk and do nothing. Sometimes we need a young person like David because they don't know anything else. The only experience he's had is there was a lion which came. That's my excuse me. Which military school have you been to? West Point Academy? Where have you been? Where did you get your confidence from? Ah, you see, there was a bear which came. I slapped the bear. And a lion came. I punched the bear, uh, the lion. It, where, 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 you know, how does a person fight this way? There's no military logic to this. There's no fighting logic to this. How are you going to fight this guy? The same way I fought him in the bear. You know, David would have been useless as an ad ad advisor for any uh, fighting force. Doesn't make sense. Because he doesn't have an experience. He has, doesn't know how to fight with anyone. He doesn't know what is dangerous. He's young. We need young people in Jesus' name. They have not become wise enough, quote unquote, to know what danger is. So the devil doesn't like him. So he was mad. He looked at David and said, am I a dog? You come to me like a dog. You come with sticks. You see, because he's young, he doesn't even know how to honor the champion of the Philistines. <laughs> he doesn't know how to honor him. He should try to honor him as a warrior. He said, I don't have a sword, so I'll borrow his sword later. I'll chop off his head, and I don't know what to do with the sword. So I'm going to give it not to Saul, because Saul is a coward. I'll give the sword to the priest Abiathar in the temple. Because God gave me this victory. Not Saul. Hallelujah. Take your sword and give it to Jesus. Young man. Young woman. God is giving you a sword to fight with. Chop off the head of every Goliath. For the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And take your sword. And give it to Jesus. Don't give it to cowards. All Abner. Joab. 
Where? How the mighty have fallen. They were all turned into quaking spectators. Timid, useless warriors. I write to you, young people, because you have overcome the wicked one. We need young people to serve Jesus. They will kill some Goliaths. They're not afraid. When the spirit of the Lord comes upon them, hallelujah, like Jonathan, they will just take their armor bearer and fight the whole Philistines. Like I said, they, they, they don't have enough experience to, to know what danger is. And God loves that. God loves that. You know who other people God argues? He argues with a Moses who is 80 years old. But Lord, how shall this be? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? You know Pharaoh is dangerous. God gets tired of talking to elderly people. They talk and they talk. Moses was trying to tell God, listen, uh, Lord, uh, you've come 40 years too late. I'm actually having a comfortable life now in Midian. Uh, by the way, do you know I have a wife, Midianite? I have children. And I actually don't mind my father-in-law, Jethro. He's actually a nice guy. This is what he was telling God. God has a problem to talk to elderly people. They always say, but Lord, it's a bit late now. And he likes young people. They jump at the opportunity. Praise God. Samuel. Amen. Samuel jumped up. He knows he heard something. He ran. Here I am. Praise God. He loves young people. May God give us young people. The devil is fighting our young people. We have to fight back in Jesus' name through prayer. Hallelujah. I want to come to the conclusion. Are you crying for your son or daughter, mother and father? Many young people are spiritually already dead. Their parents moan for them. Have faith to see Jesus coming from Capernaum. Can I ask you to close your eyes with me? In your mind's eye, just see Jesus coming all the way from Capernaum. When I was preparing this message, for some reason, it's like as if from far off, I can almost see Jesus with many people coming to Capernaum. I don't know what it was, but it blessed me. Maybe Jesus is saying through this message, this is the time. I'm coming from Capernaum. I'm coming to nine. I've seen the suffering of the widow. He will not allow your only son to be buried. He will not allow your only daughter to be buried. Just as he did not allow Abraham to kill his only son. Just as God did not allow the, clomb, the tomb to claim his only begotten son. He stopped this in the nick of time. Praise God. Jesus is making his way from Capernaum to Nain. In Luke 7, 14, it says, He came and touched the beer, and they that bear him stood still. May Jesus touch the beer. May he stop your funeral procession. May he demand attention from everybody. Instead of the sound of sobbing and weeping and cries, may we hear a powerful, authoritative voice shout, I say unto thee, arise, young man. Can we all say this in unison? Let's say together by faith. Young man, say young man, say young woman. I say unto thee, 
Arise, hallelujah, in Jesus' name. Let's speak this prophetically into the hearts of our children. Children, we say unto thee in Jesus' name, Arise, hallelujah, praise God. The days of your deadness are over, hallelujah. And you know what the Bible says? The young man rose up and immediately began to speak. It says, he that was dead, in verse 15, Luke 7, 15, he that was dead sat up and began to speak, praise God, hallelujah. And he delivered him to his mother. Perhaps the young man spoke many foolish things before he died. Maybe that's why he died. I don't know. You know, young people's mouths and hearts are full of foolishness. I do not advise anyone to listen in on the conversation of young people, especially on social media these days. You may lose hope in the future of the church and the nation. But let us look to Jesus to raise them up from the dead. And we can be sure they will speak wonderful things about the glory of God once Jesus resurrects them from the dead. I'm sure with a new life, with uh, the touch of Jesus, the command of Jesus, now he began to speak immediately. I, I can imagine he was saying, I, I, I saw amazing things. Let me tell you, God is real. Let me tell you, I made a mistake. I was living a bad life. My goodness, I'm so happy that I came back from the dead. I was in a horrible place. The guy couldn't wait to start preaching. The best preachers are those who come back from the dead. Praise God. Hallelujah. May the Lord Jesus cause our young people to rise from the dead. May he give them a new life, a new birth, a new speech, new thoughts. Hallelujah. Jesus, give a new speech to our children. Raise them up from the dead. Let them repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. I once was tempted to pray for a young person. Lord, why don't you kill them and bring them back from the dead? Would that not solve the problem? <laughs> you know, you get tempted to pray strange things. I control myself. Sometimes you just want to shake heaven into somebody. You just want to, you know, get a hold of them and throw them into God's heaven. And they come back and see, oh my goodness, I've seen, I've seen the light, praise God. The road to Damascus, praise God. Let's have faith. When nobody can deal with the young soul of Tarsus, there is a Jesus who will meet him on the road to Damascus. A young man who doesn't want to listen to anybody or nothing. Jesus waited for him to die. You know, Jesus doesn't like to be rushed. Don't trouble Jesus because somebody's sick and panic. No, he loves to come when somebody's dead to raise them up. Because then they will never forget. Never forget. They've seen things. Paul said, I've seen things. It's not lawful for me to show Eyes not seen, ears not heard. The things, you see, people who come back from death, the third heavens, they see, they see amazing things. They preach like no one else can preach. Hallelujah. John, what did you see on Patmos? I heard a voice which called me, come up hither. I can't tell you. Let me write it down. It's amazing. It's amazing. Streets of gold. Trumpets and seals. If I were to talk to you, you'll become sick. Let me let me write it down. Let people come back from the dead. They will never be the same. 
You may wonder why Brother Paul may be stable, is always speaking. I saw Jesus. I left my body. I saw Jesus. I can never forget. I can never deny. It would be, if to me, the greatest shock if, if I act like nothing happened. Be the greatest liar in this world. I saw him. And I'm telling you, he is powerful beyond imagination. He is God. He is everything he claims in the Bible and more. I felt his love. Overwhelming love. Overpowering love. Jesus is God. If you meet him, you don't need anyone else. You don't need anyone else. He's sufficient. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead body. And you are complete in him. Colossians 2, 19. Jesus is everything. Shall we... Why do you people speak about Jesus only? Well, when you meet him, I assure you, you will not want to speak about anything else. When I came among you, brethren, Paul told the Corinthians, I determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. This is a man who saw Jesus. Don't blame us. Blame Jesus for appearing to us. Hallelujah. I pray some young people will experience what I experienced. May God raise up some young people to preach the gospel. May Jesus, hallelujah, because we will not be young for very long. I mean, we, we're, long, we're not young at all anymore. We're going towards our riding into the sunset soon. But I'm trusting God. I'm always asking him, where's the young person you promised me, Lord? Amen. Where is the young person, my God? I have a promise from God. That promises I will not finish my ministry until he will give me as a young person to take over, to continue to preach, to continue to do the work I'm doing. I'm telling you this in Jesus' name. God will never let a faithful servant leave without giving him somebody to continue the work. Hallelujah. May God raise up some dead young people. Amen. May God raise up. The best news I heard a few days ago in Mexico. God bless the brother in the USA, Dexter and others who are translating some of my books, The Son of God, into Spanish. Now it's trans. They asked, they've already translated into Spanish and he's taking it to Mexico and they need permission to distribute it. I tell him, you don't need permission from me. The book belongs to Jesus. Whatever I have belongs to Jesus. Do what Jesus tells you to do. I've done my part. I sat, I wrote with the grace of God. And now the book is translated in Kiswahili. It's in Amharic. It's in uh, different languages. And now in Spanish. I've always prayed, Lord, take me to South America to preach the gospel. The gospel is gone. Going. God is saying, maybe not now, maybe in the future. But before you go there physically, I'm taking what you've written there. May God allow a young person in Mexico today to read the Son of God and the revelation of who Jesus is and begin to preach it in Mexico. Praise him. And then I can say, O oh Lord, let thy servant go. Hallelujah. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Amen. I want to challenge young people. What is your vision? What are you living for? I've shared with you my vision. I've shared with you the grace of God that is allowing some of my dreams to come through. What is my dream? 
that the gospel will be preached in all nations. That's my desire. Years ago, I couldn't even look at the map of the world without crying like a baby because of the gospel. I hope God will grab somebody, grab, seize you with this vision. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel, the apostle Paul said. Young person, may Jesus seize you with this vision. There is no better life to live. There is no better investment for your eternity than to desire to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Jesus bless you. Let us conclude with these words again. Young man, I say unto thee, arise in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. Hallelujah. We magnify you, Jesus. You are indeed a mighty God, a God worthy of all service, worthy of all sacrifices, worthy of the most lofty of thoughts and messages and preachings and every blessing. Hallelujah. We lay at your feet, Jesus. Our lives we lay at your feet, Jesus. Our thoughts, our minds, our souls. You've heard what you know what we are saying is in our hearts today. You planted it, Jesus. I pray for young people today who hear this message. I pray for the young who are dead in that funeral procession. Go from Capernaum to Nain, Jesus. Disrupt and interrupt and intervene. Hallelujah. Speak to the dead and raise the dead. Hallelujah. Turn the mourning into beauty, the beauty that is nine, hallelujah. Lord God, give a different speech to young people, a different mind to young people. Cleanse them, purify them, Jesus. Raise them up to serve you, Jesus, hallelujah. We pray for the young today in Jesus' name. We lift them before your throne today, Jesus, hallelujah. Oh my God, hallelujah. Claim, claim the young. Do not let the enemy harvest the souls of young. But let uh, Jesus harvest the young. Hallelujah. All this we commit into your hands. We bless you. We adore you. We give you the glory. For the glory only belongs to you and to no one else, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the church says, Amen, Amen, Amen.